We all have a story to tell, a story of faith that can change the lives of others. Hi, I'm Terry Squires. Join me and my friends each week in the heart of Nashville as they share their stories of faith that will inspire your life. This is today's Nashville. This is Faith. Even when we walk through the valley of sadness, you, Lord, will draw us close with an everlasting comfort. You heal and restore our broken hearts. October 2017 was a big month for Maddie Jackson, daughter of country music artist Alan Jackson. Her fairy tale wedding on the Jackson family estate in Franklin, Tennessee was featured as the cover story of the summer fall issue of Southern Bride. But less than a year after she married Ben Selectman, an assistant district attorney in Nashville, Ben died unexpectedly when he slipped and suffered traumatic head injuries. Today, God is leading her down a new journey. This is her story of unshakable faith. This is Today's Nashville. Maddie, thank you so much for inviting me into your beautiful home here in Nashville. What an honor it is to sit down with you. And boy, you have been through an amazing journey. Yes, well, I'm so glad to have you. I'm glad it worked out and we finally got to sit down together after a crazy COVID rescheduling and God's timing is right, so I'm glad we're here. It is. So I want to take you back to growing up in a famous family. So tell us who your dad is and what it was like growing up. Yeah, so my dad is Alan Jackson, um, singer-songwriter and, uh, you know, ACM winner, CMA winner, Grammy, all the things. And um, I mean, it sounds kind of silly to say, but you know, for me, it, it was the norm. I mean, it, mm. it was what I knew my whole life. And you know, my parents are from a small town in Georgia and moved here five years before having me. And you know, he struggled and did all of the, the Nashville things that you have to do to, to get a break. And um, they were really, resilient and he ended up getting his record deal um, in 1989 the year before I was born and even at that point I remember mom telling the story and like kind of joking but kind of in tears calling his business manager when they found out they were pregnant with me and asking her if they had enough money to buy me a crib I mean it was so you're the oldest yeah so it was truly on the brink of his career really really booming that um, they had me and it's been history from there. So I say that to say, you know, it's all I've ever known, literally. So, you know, for me it was normal and I will say to their credit, um, you know, they kept our lives as as normal as it could be. And I think that is a testament to how they were raised and um, just both of their humility. Uh, that's, that is probably the quality I've always admired the most in my dad. Well, you know, I heard a story not too long ago. I was sharing with a neighbor who's disabled in our neighborhood, and she walks every single day. And she's about your age, and we were, we were talking about what I do, and I told her who was going to be on my show, and she said, I know Maddie. She said, we played baseball when we were little girls, and she was so sweet to me. And she said, the other kids would make fun of me, but Maddie never did. 
And I just thought, I am going to tell her that, you, oh, that's you know, amazing. isn't it sweet? Yeah. So that says a lot about you and um, how you were raised. A lot of people think it's, you know, you come to town, instant success, yeah. but it isn't. Oh, gosh, no. No, they, they labored and he put in the work and um, got a God-given break. And we have benefited our entire lives. And I think something that, you know, they've just impressed upon us is that, you know, this, this was something that dad worked really hard for. And he obviously has an incredible talent. But, you know, it, it was truly by the grace of God that he got the break that millions of other people don't. And so I think because of that, you know, they, they wanted us to know how privileged we were and the opportunities that we would have to help other people. But, you know, I played softball and soccer and basketball like everybody else and went to school like everybody else and did the same things, you know, all my friends did because that's the kind of life they wanted us to have. And even still to this day, dad jokes, you know, should I have raised y'all in a small town just, just mm -hmm. to give you the experience we had. And so they've just, They've stayed so true to their roots, and I think to have grown up and looked back, I now realize and respect and value the way that they they raised us so much more because I see other, you know, children of celebrities and sort of entitlement, which is very easy to fall into, and, you know, I'm grateful that that wasn't the environment that they, they raised us in. When did you know that you were famous? Your family was famous. When, I don't was there, I'm famous. No, when when did you know? It, it, yeah, sure. That I, you knew that you it, had a we were famous different. family. Okay. Yeah, sure. I remember um, pretty specifically in, I want to say probably first or second grade, um, doing like, I don't know if it was show and tell or like it was a certain where you bring something to school week and it, shark week. It was shark week. Like the, it was the letter S. So we I picked shark. And I brought in an entire whole mounted shark that my dad had caught like on some fishing trip in Hawaii or the Bahamas or something as my show and tell. And I remember like- Not a gram, his, a shark. Yeah, <laughs> his manager like carrying this huge animal and fish in there and being like, yeah, this is just what dad does when he's not working. And just being like, okay, this is, no one else is bringing a whole shark into here, you know? And just being like, okay, well, our lives are different. We get to do some really cool things that other people don't do. And then, you know, as a, as a teenager, we were privileged to go to the White House um, my senior year and be a part of a dinner that normally they don't let kids under 18 into any formal event at the White House. And my dad had played a show, um, Christmas in Washington. And I remember later him telling us, you know, that he had his manager call the White House and say, if my girls can't come, I'm not playing. And so I just, I remember oh, that, that so point sweet. very specifically too, being like, A, this is the kind of man he is. And, and B, this is, like, there's a lot of successful artists out there, but this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So there, it's you and two sisters? Yes, I have two younger sisters. So tell me about your later years as a teenager and did you go on to college? Yeah, so I went to college at the University of Tennessee and studied uh, creative writing there. And didn't really intend to, but sort of, you know, always loved school and loved reading and writing and stories and grew up, you know, with a songwriter as a father. And I think was sort of always drawn to people's stories as you are and you understand. And um, it was a funny thing in school. I just started studying communications and then, um, you know, dad had a song that they were going to make a video for. And he said, I think it was 19 at the time, maybe. And he said, you know, you're creative. You're like studying English and communications and stuff. He goes, why don't you write a treatment for this 
this video I've got to shoot. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And he was like, oh, I'll send you some examples. The label wants, you know, some different ideas and look at the format and just like kind of replicate it. So I wrote it and he sent it as part of the, you know, suggested options to his label and didn't tell him that it was me who wrote it. And um, they ended up picking it and I got to fly to Tampa to watch them shoot this video that I wrote. And it just, it was this really poignant moment for me where I was like, this is what I want to do. These words become reality. And, um, you know, you have power to tell stories and power to affect people's lives in the way that my dad has always done through songwriting. And so that was, that was what sort of really put me in a place where I wanted to tell other people's stories, tell my own story, because I knew that, that it was powerful. And you have quite the story to tell. I do, and it's not the story I ever planned on telling. Manny, tell me about Ben. Oh gosh, so Ben and I met um, after college, in my mid-twenties, and um, really not a crazy exciting story. We met at a cookout. And here in Nashville? Here in Nashville, okay. a mutual friend of ours who he grew up with, and she became one of my best friends in college. And I guess we had met years before at their wedding, and he had mentioned something about me to her, but I, I think we danced or something. I don't know. Didn't think twice about it. So met him again at this cookout, and he kind of just jumped in front of me on my way to go inside to get a snack or something, and, you know, said, hey, like, I'm Ben. I think, you know, we met a while back, and... I'd really like to take you on a date. And I was just so taken aback. Just that and blunt. I, yeah, that blunt, point blank. And I mean, I was flattered, but I was like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. And he's like, well, why not? And I was like, it's just persistent. I mean, I kept, I always joke telling people, it's like, if you've seen that scene from the notebook where he jumps on the Ferris wheel and is like, just let me take you on a date. It was basically that. I was kind of seeing someone at the time, so I told him that and was like, you know, not right now. And he says, when can I ask you again? And I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't give up. So cut to three months later, I'm not seeing this other person, and I get a, a text from him, and um, he's living in Memphis at the time. He was in law school and asked if he could come to Nashville to take me out, and so he did. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was instant. Like, it was... It was that story that you never believe is true. So and you knew that, right away then? Maybe not the first <laughs> date, but by the second or third, yeah. I mean, and we talked every day since then. That was fall of 2015, and he just was a captivating man. Like, he was charming and sociable and kind and confident, and it was truly one of those where it felt like we had been friends for our whole lives. And so... You know, from there we dated from Nashville and Memphis and until he graduated law school and then he moved up here. Um, we got engaged in October of 2016, married in October of 2017. So, I mean, it was a very, it was a very fast, intense sort of relationship and looking back um, on what I've now been through in losing him a year after we got married. I, I see God's grace in making those steps go so quickly. Um, it was a kindness from him to give us as much time together as possible. Now, he became an assistant district attorney yes, here in Nashville. Yes, for Nashville. Yes, he did. Okay, so what happened? So we were on a trip, um, a Labor Day trip, with my two sisters and their then-boyfriends and some friends. Um, at the beach, and we took um, like a nice little dinner cruise on Dad's boat again, fishing. 
And um, we got off at a little uh, tiki bar we love there, had some drinks and dancing and um, hung out for the evening and then um, went to get back on the boat. And there had been a little thunderstorm that happened as it does in South Florida. And so the, the steps were kind of wet and Ben kind of hurried up there um, to help some of the girls up onto the boat. And in doing so, Sandal hit the wet dock wrong. He fell back, hit his head. Mm. And, you know, at that point, I wasn't fearful of anything. It's sort of like you play sports, you knock your head, you kind of shake it off. And that was how, to, how he was behaving. And again, in God's grace, there were some off-duty EMTs um, at this bar that we were at. And um, they said, you know, we need, you need to take him to the ER. So we went. And at that point, you know, he had some pretty severe brain swelling beginning. And they said, you know, we don't need to do surgery right away, but we probably will um, to relieve the pressure. Long story short, that was the first of a 12-day stint in the ICU, two brain surgeries, um, medically induced coma. Mm -hmm. And on the 11th day, his father and I talked to the neurosurgeon and she said, you know, the, the intracranial pressure is looking good in the next few days. We can probably start to pull him off um, the medicine, try to wake him up and see where he is. They took him to do a final brain scan before they started pulling him off the medicine. She came back, um, sat down and said, he's, he's suffered multiple strokes. He's brain dead. And so it was just, I mean, the entire experience is surreal and it you know, feels like you're at war for 12 days, but it feels like 12 now years. Where, tell me again where you were. We were in South Florida. Okay. South Florida. So at this point, my family was down there. His family was down there. Everyone was there. And you know, you just feel like you've been, yeah, at war for 12 days and in, in prayer and truly, you know, on your knees in the hospital. And there was never a moment, even, even when she looked at us and said, he's brain dead, there was still nothing inside me that didn't believe that God would heal him, that he was going to be this miracle story. And so we went back to the hotel that night and, um, I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And, you know, at this point they've given me the options. I'm his wife. I have to make a choice. Are we going to wait? Are we going to pull him off life support? And I just remember looking out at the ocean because where we were and thinking if you're this powerful, like you can save him. And so we went to bed and I got a call in the middle of the night from the hospital and they said, you know, his heart's starting to fail because he had been operated basically down to the tiniest detail by machines for 12 days. And um, if y'all can get here, we can, we'll keep him alive. So we ended up, we went in and saw him. I signed everything I had to sign as his wife and they pulled him off. And it was, it still almost doesn't feel real to, to go back to that place in my mind. But what I tell people is that call and whatever issue was happening with his heart, it was, that was the miracle that God didn't make me choose, you know, to, to end his life. He said his heart's failing as it is, and I'm going to take him and you don't have to carry this. And so that was three years ago. And since then, I mean, it's a, it's a story that I never thought I would have to tell, but it is a story that I have already seen the impact that it's had on other people. And I've, I've seen so clearly God weaving divine purpose into my pain. And to be honest, that was, that's what I've 
that's what I've asked of him from the beginning is like, I don't understand this. I would never choose it. And I, I don't believe you've done this intentionally to hurt me in any way. You're a good God. But if I'm going to have to walk this, it's going to have to help other people. And he, he is just delivered on that beyond my wildest dreams. Your story is so powerful. How have you handled it emotionally? Like during that time, that day, did you have a lot of support? I have had more support than you could even ask for. I mean, his family, my family, my friends, I mean, hundreds of people that I never have met and probably will meet praying for us this whole week. I mean, Ben was a larger than life person. So his reach and people who loved him and cared about him was vast. And just years later to get calls or letters from attorney, defense attorneys that he you know, tried cases against saying, I've never been treated with such respect as when I would try cases against Ben. I mean, things like that continue to happen. And that's part of what helps me go on is I see the impact he's made as the man he was and the impact that God continues to make through our marriage, even if it's, if it's just me. Maddie, did you even get to celebrate your first wedding anniversary? Oh man. So he passed three weeks before our first wedding anniversary. Before? Before. Mm. So at the time I was very angry about that and felt robbed of something that I should have been able to celebrate with the man that I love. And that day was obviously <laughs> indescribable. And I knew going into it that it would be a pain like I had never felt. And I also knew going into it that what Ben would say is celebrate anyway. And so I planned a dinner with girlfriends, his mom, my mom, my sisters. Mm -hmm. But I woke up that morning and I, the last thing I wanted to do was celebrate. And I just knew that I wanted to see him. And I remembered that he had ordered me a wedding gift that summer earlier from Etsy. And it's like, no man orders a wedding gift two months in advance. And I remember seeing the box and seeing Etsy. And I was like, what on earth did you get from Etsy? Like, Don't open it. Don't open it until our anniversary. Okay. So of course I had forgotten all about this. I come home from Florida after he had passed and I see the box. I wanted so badly to open it. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I went home, had a moment by myself opened this anniversary gift that he had ordered two months in advance, and it was a bouquet of paper roses made out of hymnal pages because it's the paper anniversary. And I just wept, and I remember thinking, like, how good is God to save this for me and have him think about it in advance and be so intentional. And I sat in my basement clutching that bouquet of paper roses, sobbing harder than I had sobbed since the moment I kissed him goodbye and watched our whole wedding video because that's all I knew to do. I was gonna celebrate and all I wanted was to see him that day and to see him smile and dance and laugh and his huge personality. And it was the most excruciating thing I could have done, but it showed me early on the power of really leaning into your pain. I mean, I'm, I'm one who wants to power through and push through and, and be strong. And I think that that happened so quickly and it was so painful that it, it showed me that the way to really heal was going to be to let it hurt as, as much as it needs to, as deeply as it needs to, and to truly, like, lament. You know, it's interesting that you say that because we don't want to feel that pain. No. And, but God gives us 
that emotion. Yeah. You, you know, we are going to face trials and yeah. challenges. What would you say to a young widow or widower today? I would say as much as you want to race through this pain and this process, it is truly one day at a time. And I hate that for me and I hate that for you, but his mercies really are new every morning. He really will give you enough 24 hours at a time and some will look pretty and some will look terrible. And it's just one day at a time and that there's, there's no right way to do it. I wanted to grieve right. I wanted to do it well. I wanted to show people you can have hope and I have, but it's only been after moments of truly breaking down and lamenting and hurting because you can't outrun the pain mm -hmm. and it really will heal with time. And, and it, it takes the Holy Spirit patching little parts of your broken story one at a time. What's life like today? <laughs> It is, it is joyful again, and it, it can be. And, and even, even in that, there's something that I am so glad to have learned this early in life is that pain and joy coexist. They really do. And, and in the deepest, most sorrowful places, when you do find moments of, of happiness or, or laughter, they're richer too. It's like when it hurts so deeply, you also can find deep joy and contentment in those situations too, it's, it's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. Tell me what God is doing now in your life, your ministry, you started a new ministry and actually Ben was part of it. Yes, it's amazing how he works. So um, in July of 2018, right before uh, Ben's accident, I had closed a business um, that I'd been running for a few years and got in touch with my now co-founder business partner, Brooke. and. We started a women's merchandise brand called Nashville. It's just a play on Nashville. I've seen it. I've seen um, it. And um, we do women's merchandise, and we advocate for um, three groups, and uh, work with nonprofits serving those groups. And our proceeds go to support them. And in July of 2018, before anything happened, we decided our missions were orphans, widows, and trafficked mm -hmm. uh, women. Mm -hmm. And the orphans and widows comes directly from scripture, as we know, take care of orphans and widows. Mm -hmm. And then the trafficking victims was Ben's kind of hand in it. He worked a lot in the trafficking and drug courts here. And he said, you know, these women, they don't need, you know, penalty. They need protection and they need healing. And so he put us in touch with all the people in town that serve those victims and survivors. And, you know, it's been three years since then. And he just continues to bring people into our sphere that that can expand what we're able to give back and how we're able to spread the message um, for all these different groups. And I mean, obviously he's put me front and center to walk my grief and, and be vocal about the pain and the faith um, that it takes to endure that in real time in front of the different groups of widows that we work with. Your faith just is just you know, so joyful and is helping so many people. You have a new book coming out. I do. Let's yes. talk about it. I can't believe that it's real. Um, so my book is called Lemons on Friday, and it's the whole idea of, you know, we've all heard the adage, make lemonade out of lemons, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just scratching the surface of what this life is. The whole metaphor through the book is, you know, God promises us redemption and healing and a day when we will neither cry nor hurt anymore. But in between, you know, the Garden of Eden and the new heaven, new earth, 
we have lemons everywhere. I mean, tragedy happens, sickness happens, death happens, hardship happens. And how do we live in a world filled with lemons in what often feels like crucifixion Friday? We know Resurrection Sunday is coming, but we're not there yet. And how do we honestly hurt and honestly hope at the same time? And, and so it walks through a lot of the different questions I grappled with and struggles I had and essentially how my faith now is more real and central to my life than it's ever been. I can't wait. So it comes out this fall? Yes, November. Lemons on Friday. That's it. Maddie, thank you so much for being with us, sharing your faith. It's an amazing story. And I know God is going to do amazing things in your life. He already has. I'm, I'm just so grateful to be able to share with y'all. Thank you. My friend, are you going through pain in your life. Maybe you've lost somebody. I think of Maddie's story. I think of Naomi and Ruth. We might not understand what God is doing, but he's in control. He's sovereign. He has a bigger plan. And take his hand on that journey so that you can share your faith with others that will give him honor and glory. This is Today's Nashville. This is Faith. I'll see you next time. Do you have a question or comment about today's podcast or want to check out the latest television episode? You can find me, Terry Squires, and all of my guests at todaysnashville.com. Cornerstone Television wishes to thank all our faithful viewers whose consistent prayers and financial support have made this program possible.